today we are on the, the fourth sermon, this is the fourth Sunday, in a journey through the book of Numbers. And we have two more sermons to go, so you have, if you have been bearing up with me, suffer no more, we just have next week and the other week and we'll be, and we'll be done. But the story is longer and very beautiful, more than we have the time to narrate, we pray that in future we shall be able to get more time perhaps to go and look at other things that I have been jumping. But the reason why we opted to do this book is because many modern Christians and believers are not very familiar with the content of this book. They say that it is rather hard to read on your own, and rightly so, but to those who are willing to strap on their boots, this book, brothers and sisters, is a mindful of precious spiritual treasures that will be able to encourage you in a journey of, of faith. They remind you about who God is, they remind you about who you are, and actually what God has done. And so it's a very, very beautiful book that even for me, as I've been reading it, God has been teaching me many, many lessons, and I pray that, you know, I'll read it and be able to help you understand it even better. From the onset, it is a book that is set in the wilderness. God had saved his people who had been enslaved for over 400 years in a place called Egypt, and God was taking them to settle them to a place called Canaan, the promised land. So it is a book about people on a journey, people who have been saved but are not yet settled, people who have been redeemed by the hand of God, but they have not yet been rewarded with this great and grand promise. They are on their way. So they are in between. They are in between Egypt and, uh, and, and Canaan, and that's where all these events of the book of Numbers are recorded from. As Christians also, we know that we are also in an in-between moment. God has, through our faith in Jesus Christ, God has saved us, and we are not yet into the promised glories of heaven. We are looking forward with great anticipation. That's why we gather every day to encourage each other that we may be able to persevere through this truth so that one day we may be able to receive this crown of righteousness where we'll be able to see our God. And so we are there. And so whenever we are faced with challenges and temptations of life, let us fix our eyes you know, on our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the one who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who endured the, the, the cross and who scorned its shame, and out of that, there is a great reward that is for us. Again, we say that even for us as a church, again, we are an in-between moment. We hope and desire that soon and very soon we'll be able to get into our new worship center where we shall not have these pillars around, sound issues, the guys on this side, you know, and, and all that, and, and, and that we'll be able to have a wonderful and a beautiful and amazing place of worship. So we continue again pleading. Let us continue giving faithfully towards this project so that indeed our faith will be turned to sight as soon as possible. So let us also not give up. Let us not lose faith that day will come as the Lord has desired. Again, even in our individual lives and in our families, we face in-between moments as well. And the question is, when we are faced with those moments of wilderness, what do we do? And we have been encouraging each other that our joy is to completely depend on God without losing faith. 
trusting in his ability to save, his ability to sustain, and even to settle us where he wants. We have been encouraged that even during this time, when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, that indeed God provided for them the heavenly food, that God blessed them with manna, manna every day, food for the moment. They never needed to have fridges because every day God would provide manna. And we say that manna is a very uh, wonderful name there. It means, what is it? And we've been saying that, you know, when the parents would ask in the morning, what do we have for breakfast? The, you know, they will say, what is it? Lunchtime, what, do we, what is it? What is it? What is it? What is it? That's manna. Just saying that so that you may remember what manna means. God also sheltered them under a cloud during the day so that he protected and prevented the scorching rays of the sun to heat his children when they were in the wilderness. Also at night, God provided a, a, a pillar of fire, a ball of fire, number one, to keep them warm from the, you know, from the, from the cold of the deserts. Deserts at night can become very cold. And so he provided this ball of fire to protect, I mean, to give them heat, but also even to, pro to prevent and to protect them from wild animals. And so God was consistently with them when they were in the desert. So even in our moments of in-between, we need to look around and we'll see the provisions of God and how God is providing for us, whether it is good health, whether it's friends, whether it's a community that can come around and support you. So look closely. Whenever we are in between moments, the hand of God. Last week, we read from Numbers chapter 12, 13, and 14, and we saw that the people of God were just on the edge. They were just about to step into the promised land. The spies, the 12 men who had been sent to scout the land, came back with a report. And this report was in two ways. First, they said that the land was good. They had the cluster of grapes. They came back with it to show the people that indeed the land is at, as it is. What God says, that's how the land looks like. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. But there is a problem, second part, that the people who dwell there, the inhabitants of this land, the Amalekites, the Canaanites, the Anaks, the Hittites, the uh, Jebusites, these people are so big, we cannot be able to take over the land. The ten men shared a bad report that sent shockwaves of unbelief to everyone who was in the camp. And the people started wailing and crying. So you can only imagine a wailing of two million people, how loud that was. And God was displeased with them because the size of the people, the size of the uh, Anak, the, the Amalekites, the Nephilims, that size to them diminished the grandness of God's promise. And God counted that as unbelief, that you didn't believe in me, you didn't believe in my ability to be able to give you this promised land. And out of that, the people refused. They said, no, 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 we do not want the promise of God. We do not want the inheritance of God. God is unfair. God has brought us into this place to kill us and to finish us. They, they ignored God's promise and the power to fight for them. And in their unbelief, God says in the book of Hebrews, 
It says that in their unbelief, in the promises and in the goodness of God, they never entered into a land of rest. They never rested. God, in his wrath and anger, asked them to turn back. Turn back towards the Red Sea. And each and every one of you who is over 20 years old, because you did not believe my words, because you did not believe in my ability to be able to fulfill the promises that I have made even to your forefathers, then all of you, you are going to fall in that desert. You are going to fall down. None of you will ever make it to the promised land. And these children that you are trying to defend and you are trying to come behind and hiding your unbelief with, I will take care of this, those children and I will deliver them into the promised land. And friends, Moses, the servant of God, led the longest funeral procession, burying millions of people, so to speak. And their unbelief led them to their graveyards. And God is displeased with our unbelief. So, friends, let us be a people of great faith, factoring in the ability of God, even in what seems impossible. Let us not see that God is not or He's unable to deliver His promises. He is unable to save us. Let us always latch onto His promise that He is powerful enough and He's gracious and generous enough to be able to give that which He has promised to His children. So today we jump over to chapter 20. So please, let's go in there to chapter 20. That's why we are going to camp just for a few verses there. Today I'll be gracious. I'll not take you through many chapters so that you may have a time to breathe. I do not want to promise you that that won't happen in the coming weeks. But just for today, enjoy just about 13 verses. Last week we left in chapter 14. And as I have asked that we jump to chapter 20, you need to know that now, in chapter 14, God pronounced his anger and his punishment to the people. He said that in this desert, you will wander in this desert. For, the, for each and every day that the, the spies were in the land that I were to give you, every day I'll punish you with an equivalent of one year. And so 40 years have passed between chapter 14 and chapter 20. So these people that we are going to read about today in chapter 20, this is a new congregation. This is a new assembly. This is a totally new people. It's not the people who are there in chapter 14, as we read last week. But as a matter of conjecture, there is nothing much that is written in between... Genesis, I mean, Numbers 14 to 20, about, especially about the people of Israel. When God asked them to turn around and to head back to the wilderness where they are going to die, nothing much is recorded of the events that happened in the wilderness. The people of God stagnated in that wilderness because they did not trust the Lord. And friends, sometimes when we mistrust God, when we turn around and leave God, and God give us what we did ask for, that which wasn't pleasing to him. There is nothing much that will be written in there. So whenever in our disobedience we turn away from God, nothing much will be written about us. Nothing much will be written about you. So do not take casually your season or your time of unbelief. There is nothing. There is no return on investment. 
then you come out of that you know, empty-handed with nothing to show. So if you are there, may I encourage you, brothers and sisters, to turn back to God and to trust him. He is able to show you his will and his purposes. Otherwise, in the season of unbelief, in the season of that wilderness, you will come out of that place with nothing. In any case, at the end of your life, we just have that for the, four, the four Ks. You know, kuzaliwa, kurandaranda, kugua, na kukufa. You know, just that. Nothing else. Nothing much will be written. But let me tell, tell you, the time that you spend with Christ, even the most poorest of Christians is among the richest in the world. There's so much to, to write about someone who has pursued God faithfully, someone who has loved God faithfully, and whatever they have done, you know, outlives them. So in chapter 20, verse 1, it says, In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. This place called Kadesh, this is the very place that they were in 40 years before, when they didn't believe in God, and God asked them to go back. So they are almost now again to the edge. They are just about to get again into the promised land. And we learn a few things there, that Miriam died. Miriam was the elder sister to Moses and Aaron. And who, this Miriam had led a rebellion against her younger brother, that is Moses, but God had restored her again even through the intercession of her brother Moses. Though we are not given much details about her burial, her mention here is worth noting because Miriam is the only woman in this generation whose death is mentioned, and I want to take that as a sign of honor. To her, to her merit, this prophetess you know, had even led the people of Israel to sing that victorious song that we find in the book of Exodus chapter 15. And it must have been then like a death of a mother of a nation. You know, I can only imagine the effect that this death of Miriam had to Aaron and also Moses. For many years they had been together. This Miriam actually had hidden Moses. When Moses, when the Egyptians were saying that they want to kill all the firstborns, all the boys of the Hebrew people. So in verse 2 to 5, let me read. Now there was no water for the community and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord, why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? Other versions will say evil place. It has no grain or figs, or, or figs, grapevines, or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. While they were in that season of grief and mourning, then there was another problem, and this is the problem of water. And in the desert, water is key. Water is life, so their lives were in danger. The people need, needed to be refreshed, but do you see they are asking in verse 3, Again, they are questioning the motives of God. Again, instead of asking humbly, they come and they lament, and the words that they share there, they are terrible words. 
They say that even this place that God has brought them, that is an evil place. That is an, a terrible place. They call Moses. And when they called Moses, they were assembled. You know, this assembly, as we read there, actually this assembly was to pass judgment on Moses and Aaron. That you, the way you have been leading us, the way you have been working with us, it is not good. And this God doesn't desire the best for us. A new generation, brothers and sisters, with the same old tactics, complaining and grumbling. As we have been tracking them 40 years before, they still don't believe that God has the ability to sustain and to keep them. They don't believe that God has the ability to refresh them. They still think that God wants to finish them. And that in this desert, this is where they're going to meet their death. Friends, this is what, when they were teenagers, when they were children, this is what they used to see their parents doing again towards God. The ten laments that we were seeing last week when God says that they have tested me ten times, all that was happening in the view of their children. And so the children kept these things to heart. And later, this is the language that they know how to speak towards God. Friends, as a parent, the challenge is, and the question is today, how do you present God to your children? Because the way you present God to your children, most of them, not all, God always saves his own remnants, but most of them, that is how they are going to perceive and to see God. If you present to them as if God is stingy or God is not there, it will be hard to believe any other person's words. So these children of Israel, they grew up seeing their parents complaining and grumbling against the Lord. And that's the language that they know. So it's just easy for them to adopt it as their second language, complaining and grumbling. So back to our story. Despite the failings of their parents, the, the, uh, you know, and this is the previous generation, Israel commits the very same sin that God had punished them for, brothers and sisters. Same forest, different monkeys, but in diapers now. <laughs> Verse 6, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together, speak to that rock before their eyes, and it, it will pour out its water. Let me take a moment there. Moses and Aaron are 40 years older. The last time that we left them, they, Moses was about 80 years. Now he's almost 120 years old, tired and worn out by the complaint of the people, the same complaint. And to their credit, they are leading a younger generation because the older ones then must have been 60 years apart from Joshua and Caleb. But they still follow the same way of complaining and presenting their issues to Moses and Aaron and even to God. But to their credit, Moses and Aaron, for all this time, they still do the same. Moses and Aaron, do you know what they do? 
whenever they are met with the challenges of ministry or they are met with the dilemma, they go before the Lord. And as leaders, they go before the Lord for answers during this very difficult and testing time. When they are helpless, they run to God. And perhaps this is something to note. This is something for us. That whenever we are overwhelmed with circumstances, whenever we are overwhelmed with the challenges of life, whenever we do not know even how to lead our families, where do we go to? Moses and Aaron, his brother, they go to the site of their inquiry. That is the tent of the Lord, into the presence of the Lord. And there they fell down in worship and also in mourning. And they asked God, what is it that we can be able to do? Friends, even in the most difficult seasons of life, the presence of God is still there. God is still there, ready to save, ready to answer the questions that you may be having. So Moses, I mean, it's David who said this word that even, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your road and your staff, right in there, they comfort me. God is so good, he doesn't send representatives to walk with you. He shows up himself. And during this time, the presence of the Lord came into this tent of meeting, and God spoke with them. So whenever we go through a hard time, whatever we are going through, an in-between moment, friends, let us seek the face of the Lord. The Bible says that if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. He is a good and a faithful shepherd. He hears the prayers and the cries of his children. I love the words of Psalm that are found in the, in the book of Psalm 138, that though I walk in the midst of trouble, you revive me. Your right hand will save me. The right hand of God is always there to guide you, brothers and sisters, during the moments of joy and even the not-so-joyous moments of life. Verse 7 and 8. Again, the Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring out, you will bring water out of the rock for the community, so that they and their livestock can drink. So this was a particular rock. See the definite article there. For those who went to the to the University of Nairobi, you know this, right? can hear the silence of Kemu and Kiriri women. <laughs> but for those who went to the, to the University of Nairobi, you guys get me, right? Awesome, thank you. Other versions will say that rock. So it wasn't just any other rock. It wasn't just any other desert rock. It was a particular rock. And the Lord drew closer to them and gave them the directives on how they are going to proceed. God, in his mercy, when he came, said that in his mercy and grace, he will still supply water even to a people that he needed not to supply. God meets their need, and he meets their need again, even after they have attacked his character. And this is why we need to see the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. Some people say that, you know, I don't want to read the God of the Old Testament. I want to read the God of the New Testament because he's a God of grace. Friends, if you ever hear anyone saying something like that, then be careful and guide them from their unbelief. God meets their needs even when he never needed to meet them, their needs. 
when he needed to punish them, in his goodness and his mercies, do you know what he does? He says, I will still provide water even to these people who are attacking my character. This is another incidence of God's kindness being undercut by human failure. That God is still with them. God is still walking with them. But they do not see that. Verse 9, So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, let's pause there for a moment. So Moses takes the staff, a symbol of authority, a symbol of someone who is there to represent God, walks out with it. We see, but here in a moment, we see Moses in a way that we have not seen him. From the journey of Exodus, in a short while, we'll see Moses in a way that we have not seen him. From there, things go south. When he held that staff, as he has done in the past, when he stepped out of that tent of meetings, something went wrong. In the previous chapters, the story focuses on the sin of the people. But now, in just two verses that we are going to read in a short while, the chapter focuses on the sin of the leaders, especially Moses. A man who spoke face to face with God, a man who had been representing God in everything, the faithful leader, the man who is described as the most humble man on the face of the earth, the man that God says that Moses sees my form. That's the relationship that God had with Moses. Fails at the end. So close, but he makes a terrible mistake and misses the promised land. A man who fails, and like the rest of the people, is denied entry to the promised land. He too fails. And before we read, in some measures, all of us could be leaders in one way or another. You have certain responsibilities that make you a leader. There are people who look up to you. There are people who expect you to make the right decision for their own livelihoods. You are a leader. You may not be leading, yes, two million people, hundred thousands or even a thousand or even hundreds, but you still are a leader in your own right. Some of you could be leaders at home or even outside home. The next two verses remind us something very important, that leadership is a divine responsibility, but is tethered on divine accountability. What am I saying so that I think the suspense is too long? Let's read verse 10 and 11. And Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Verse 11, then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. I want you to, to, uh, to, you know, to pay very, very close attention here. You may miss it. And so if you are just about to sleep, please wake up, you know, so that we may read this together. You, you know, you go with this home. Okay? All right. You're up now. Thank you. Water gushed out. The people of God were refreshed and nourished, but God was displeased with Moses. Verse 12 says, But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I gave them. God was displeased. 
But the good thing is this. God in his mercy did not publicly shame Moses. You can only imagine gathering millions of people and then striking the rock and nothing comes out. God covered him. So water came out. Water gushed out. He covered his sin, but he had to deal with him and Aaron in private. And someone was reminding me, that's why God should, you know, we should always be careful when God is disciplining his leaders. Please don't get, in touch. Don't get involved there. You just get on the side, right? Wachana na mungu, they deal with God in whatever way the Lord wants it to be done. I think that's one of the things that we see there. He covered his sin, but he dealt with him in private. God refused to endorse the character and conduct of his friend, Moses. Just because they were buddies, he said no. Why was Moses punished and banished from the land that God had promised? Why? Please, let us look at it uh, quickly. Three things. Number one, God punished and banished him because he failed to encourage God's people. Moses failed to encourage the people of God. In verse 10, do you see the, 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 how harsh he was? He says, you rebels. Moses, a man known for his patience, here at the border of the promised land, his naps and his words were like swords that bruised the people of God. And we can resonate with him. For me, I get him. By then, I understand him, just as you do. Moses have been, must have been so frustrated with these guys. He must have been discouraged by them. Again, when we are just about to cross to the promised land, you come and you say that this is a terrible place, that God is evil. Moses must have been so discouraged. They had been in the desert for 40 years. Because of the very same thing. Maybe Moses was thinking, again you do this, then again God prolongs our stay in the desert 40 more years. No, I'm not willing. What if God is angry with us and he makes us wander in the desert for 40 years? Am I ready to conduct over a million funerals again? You rebels. Read it in your mother tongue. You'll be, interest, you'll be interesting to, you'll be happy to see what Moses calls them. Here, right here, Psalm 106 gives us a divine commentary about what had happened, actually. Let me just read it quickly for you all. You can go there together. Psalm 106, verse 32 and 33. Psalm 106, verse 32 says, By the waters of Meribah they angered the Lord. So God was displeased by the way with them. We don't see that, but God was displeased. By the waters of Meribah they angered the Lord, and trouble came to Moses because of them. For they rebelled against the Spirit of God, and rash words came from Moses' lips. So that's what happened. The Bible says that even before a word is on my mouth, God knows it. That God perceives my thoughts, your thoughts from afar. God knew that Moses is angered, God knew that Moses is not happy. God knew the words that were in Moses' heart. And he knew that he's going to, Moses is going to pronounce these words. That's why God said, do not speak to the people. He said what? Speak to the rock. Not the people. God was creating a way out for our brother Moses. So friends, if you are a believer, 
God has, has given you words of life to encourage and to gently correct others. You have words to sustain and to console the weary ones. The words of tenderness and kindness. Moses, in a moment of fury, uses words which were like burning darts to the people. So the question is, how do you, brothers and sisters, how do you encourage those who are around you? How do you encourage your spouse and your children? How do you encourage the employees that are working for you and with you? How do you encourage those who are following you or those who are close to you? Do you condemn and convict with your words like Moses did? The mouth of a leader is to encourage and heal rather than wound. I love the, 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 what James says in James chapter 1, verse 20. For man's anger does not bring about the righteousness that God desires. In his anger, God didn't bring the righteousness towards Moses. So Moses failed and God was displeased. Secondly, Moses failed to keep the commands of God. How do we see this? Do you notice that in verse 11, the miracle happens, water gush out, but do you notice that Moses disobeyed? God said, said, take your staff, that is in verse 8, take your staff, and in verse 9, Moses took the staff. Gather the assembly, and in verse 10, he gathered the assembly. God then had said, speak to that rock, but Moses did not do that. He disobeyed. He struck the rock not once, but twice. And then God says, because you did not believe me. The Hebrew, the Hebrew word there is amen, or amen, where we say amen. I have believed what I have prayed, the way I have communicated with you, God. I believe those words that I have shared with you, and I believe in your ability. That's why I'm saying amen. So God says, because you did not amen me, then you're not going to go into the promised land. That although Moses obeyed part of the command, he didn't fully obey it. And God counts that as unbelief. And although water gushed out and Israel was nourished, it doesn't mean that that was an approval of Moses' actions. This is a warning for us or for those ones who say that they are results-oriented. I am a results-oriented person. What are the results? See my results. Friends, it matters to God how you get the job done, even more than the results. Partial obedience before the Lord is equal to total disobedience. So God isn't after certain outcomes of our lives or the results. God isn't interested in that, brothers and sisters, God is interested in the character that he is forming through us and in us. Is it a Christ-like character that is faithful to the end? God takes offense on Moses' unbelief, and as he did to the children of Israel, he says, Moses, my friend, my buddy, you too are not going to get into the promised land with your brother Aaron. The same unbelief follows Moses, the same punishment follows Moses. God said to Moses, Moses, if you won't serve me truly, 
in an ungodly way. You won't serve me in an ungodly way. So here I'm limiting the options that you have. You are not crossing over to the other side of the Jordan. Apart from Moses failing to keep God's commands, finally we see that Moses failed to keep God's holiness. The holiness of God wasn't observed. All through scriptures, the rock is an image of stability, safety, and salvation. A picture of endurance. Psalm 18 says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock. Psalm 78 will say that they remember that God was their rock. That God most high was their redeemer. In New Testament it says that Christ said that on this rock I will build my church. Friends, Moses gathered God's people around the symbol of God himself. And in anger and in frustrations and in rage, like it all depended on him, he struck the symbol of God's own towering character. This was a direct assault towards God, brothers and sisters, in front of all the people to see how, God, I mean, how Moses was humiliating God. He esteemed God not. This God... That as we have sung right now, this name that the angels say that it is holy, this name that the creation sings holy, holy forever, Moses in rage stands before him and he strikes this God not once but twice. If you think that this is far-fetched, Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4, verse 3 to verse 4, they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. So that rock that Moses hit was actually Christ. And that is Moses who is doing this. Moses' call was to glorify the Lord. Moses' call was to esteem the Lord in the presence of his people, to remind them that God's holiness is much less and God doesn't share his glory with anyone. But in full contempt, Moses discredits this name of God, this rock, and actually he took credit for what God was about to do. Do you see what he says? Must we bring you water out of this rock? Like it all depended on him. The most humble man Pride creeps in, and at one moment he takes the place of God, and God was displeased with that. God wasn't happy with Moses in that way. Friends, God has no favorites when it comes to his holiness. And just at the boundary, God says, Moses, even you, you ain't going in either. Can you imagine how this may have been heartbreaking to Moses and Aaron? He says that, Aaron, you're going to die here. And actually a few verses down there, if you jump with me to verse 23, at Mount Hall near the border of Edom, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Aaron will be gathered to his people. He will not enter the land I give the Israelites, because both of you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Call Aaron and his son Eliezer and take them out up Mount Hall 
Remove Aaron's garments and put them in his son's Eliezer. For Aaron will be gathered for his, to, to his people. He will die there. But after that incident, give credit to Moses. Verse 27 says, Moses did as the Lord commanded. That even when God punished him, when God disciplined him, Moses still pursued God. Moses, in his meekness, he knew that God's ways are perfect and his ways are righteous. And because of that, he will still lead his brother even to his death. He will still lead these people to the border of the promised land. And he guided them and he never messed up again. And that is the credit that we must give to Moses. Even after messing, the guy came back to his senses and was able to pursue and to love God again. And out of that, God in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 32, so that again you are not discouraged, that even after Moses walking with God and pursuing God, was there anything for him? God says in the book of uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, on, the, on that same day the Lord told Moses, verse 48, go up into the Abarim range to Mount Nebo in, in Moab across the Jericho and view Canaan, the land I am going to give to the Israelites as their own possession. There on the, on the mountain that you have climbed, you will die and be gathered to your people just as your brother Aaron died on Mount Hor. Again, he repeats again in verse 51, this is because both of you broke faith with me in presence of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the desert of Zin, and because you did not uphold my holiness among the Israelites. Therefore, you will see the land only from a distance. You will not enter the land I am giving to the people of Israel. God in his grace allows Moses to have just a look into this new place that he's going to take the people of Israel. Friends, when we read this story of Moses, we can be discouraged a little bit. And this story here doesn't mean that we should not have very high expectations of leaders. We should. But it is a warning to us not to trust them in the place of God. The story is here to encourage us, but also to warn us. Because we are reminded that no leader is immune to the effects of sin. We are not yet free from the natural strain of sin that makes us weak and fail. So if you trust in man, you'll be disappointed because no man can fully meet all your dreams and your desire. Because all leaders are susceptible to failure do not place the lion's share of your dreams and aspiration on any man, on any human being. If Moses failed, friends, you can easily fail. That person that you are looking up to can easily fail. It can happen to you as well. And so as a leader, you are reminded to be watchful of your conduct and even of your character. Don't think that you're not vulnerable to the effects of sin. Do not underestimate the natural pull of your heart to sin. Because like Moses, you can take easily the place of God and God will be displeased with that. Friends, if Moses didn't make it, where is our hope? What are you going to go home with today? Friends, if Moses could fail, then we should remind ourselves that our faith, our hope, and our trust 
should not be on anyone else apart from our Lord Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can be able to carry us in between without disappointment, friends. His shoulders are too wide to carry us all. He says in his word, come to me, all of you who are tired, all of you who are weak and weary, and I will be able to give you rest. This Savior that we praise today, this reason, Lord, that today we have been reminded of what he did on the cross through the Holy Communion, this Savior encourages. Let me read for you a verse in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. Moses' word didn't sustain the, the people of Israel, but Jesus Christ's words will sustain you. They will keep you. Jesus is a better leader because, again, he sympathizes with us. The book of Hebrews chapter 4 reminds us that our great high priest sympathizes with our weaknesses. Even when we turn away from him, he sympathizes with us. And he encourages. He binds the brokenhearted. He gently corrects. He gently heals all those who are tired and weary and, weary, and encourages them and to pursue godliness in all ways. Jesus not only encourages, but unlike Moses, he is a true mark of humility. Jesus humbled himself. He did not consider equality with God like Moses did as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. In front of the whole world, Jesus honored his father on the cross through total obedience, even on that cross. And he accomplished the task and honored his father. The book of John, chapter 17, says, Jesus was saying these words, I have brought you glory on earth by completing or accomplishing the work that you gave me to do. Where Moses would be unable to accomplish, where Moses denied God's glory, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, was able to bring God's glory and, Moses, I mean, and Jesus, again, completed the work that his father had called him to do. And out of that, he equally honored his father. Jesus not only encourages, Jesus not only is a true mark of humility, but ultimately, Jesus saves. He does more than lead. He does more than showing us the true mark of humility. He saves too. I mean, Paul would say, that this rock that accompanied the people of Israel was actually Christ. That in Numbers, the text that we have just read, was a beautiful foreshadow of Christ, brothers and sisters. Struck by men, smitten by God, he is a fountain that washes and cleanses. That whoever drinks from this well, from this fountain, will never ever thirst again. The people of Israel would thirst again and again. But for us believers today, Drinking from this rock, this fountain will never dust again. Jesus leads you and, and, and shows you the image of humility, but saves you by giving you water that satisfies you, not for a day, not for a moment, but even beyond that, brothers and sisters, in the book of Revelation, if you remain faithful to him, he will lead you to receive the crown of victory, the crown of righteousness. And uh, I mean, uh, Revelation chapter 14, verse uh, from somewhere verse 4-7 says that Jesus will lead you before his father and all the deeds, all the good things that you have done, leading God's people, do you know what? They ain't going to waste. 
They follow you as you receive that crown. Jesus is able to save you. Do you know what, brothers and sisters? Even for Moses, the reason why he didn't lose faith is because he knew that there is one who is more powerful and stronger to save even him, that he equally needed a savior. And do you know what, brothers and sisters? He saved Moses to the extent that on, the on, on that day when on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus needed, an, uh, needed encouragement, do you know who showed up? Moses and Elijah showed up. When Jesus was now on this promised land, this land that Moses failed to deliver his people, and Jesus came and dwelt with us on that land, Moses joined Jesus, but not on account of his own ability to lead his people, but on the account of the Lord Jesus Christ. On the very same land, Moses was able to see the land. He landed there on the account of our Lord Jesus Christ. His debt fully paid by Jesus. Jesus, the one that he struck, having paid fully. And because of that, we have the promise and we have the hope of seeing Moses even in heaven because he trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, would you lay your trust not on any man, but on our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say a word of prayer for you. Lord, we acknowledge that these words are not a misuse of biblical space, but they are there to encourage us and to remind us of what, Lord, you have done, to remind us that, Lord, you are trustworthy and to look up unto you. I pray for these brothers and sisters, myself included there, strengthen our faith. Help us to trust in you. I pray for anyone here in our midst who perhaps in one way or another hasn't trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive them today. Show them the right path. And receive them again like you did to Moses. And assure them that, Lord, you are the only one that we can trust and look up to. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name we do pray. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a lovely week.